On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New COVID measures come into effect from this week. But what are they and what happens next? This is the fourth surge in infections that we have experienced as a country. But this time it is different. We have paused what was already a phased and cautious return to the workplace. And our advice is now that everyone should work from home unless it is absolutely necessary that they attain. It's different because of the extraordinary success of our national vaccination programme. Without it, there is no doubt that we would now be in a full-scale lockdown. It is only this collective effort that will keep our society and economy open, that will sustain and maintain our progress and above all, that will keep us healthy and safe. Today on the Indo-Daily, we bring you the latest in these measures. I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me are Philip Ryan, political editor at the Irish Independent, Deirdre Robertson from the Economic and Social Research Institute and Christine Losher, professor of immunology at Dublin City University. Philip Ryan, political editor at the Irish Independent. What are these new measures and have we taken a step backwards? Yeah, I think we certainly have. This is the first time in many, many months that the government is now actually moving backwards in terms of restrictions and regulations to to stop the spread of COVID-19, which we know is, is pretty much out of control and is putting a huge strain on our hospital system. So the things they're looking at now uh, from this week onwards is... Number one, um, this big return to the offices that we were promised, that's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of a pause put in that and people are going to be asked to work at home unless it's necessary. There was some talk of working at home if possible, but that's kind of changing now to if necessary. If you you don't have to come into your office or don't have to go to your workplace, uh, don't do it. So that'll be the new message there. And Philip, so are we back to kind of lockdown scenarios like before where you, you, you know, you, you might be stopped on your way into work and you'd have to explain yourself to a guard. We're not going to that extreme again. I don't think we're just there just yet. I think a lot of this, um, what has been looked at now is putting the onus on the individual. A lot of make some sensible decisions, do it yourself um, kind of risk assess it yourself and think, do I need to go into the office? Do I need to, to go to my workplace? And, and if you don't really need it, don't do it this time around. That, that'll be one of the key messages. Very confusing for employers. Yeah, it's it's very difficult for employers who are who have been returning to offices and put in place all the various measures, all the screens, all the hand sanitizers, all the checks and balances that they hoped would lead to the the ultimate return of people into the offices. But look, it, look, that's going to be put off for a little time, and and we'll just have to see how this one plays out in that regard. 
And what else, uh, Philip? Um, you, you know, the extension of nightclub and pub hours, for example, mm. that that's that's been put back again. Yeah. Um, so nightclubs, they're just open a few weeks, is it three or four weeks? And it looks like now that um, a, a curfew, let's call it a curfew, is going to be put in for midnight, from Thursday at midnight. Pubs, restaurants, it won't really affect restaurants and many pubs, but nightclubs especially, they'll have to close from midnight. So, so that's a huge step back when you think about um, how long nightclubs were forced to close for and how long they struggle to get any uh, income to, to keep their, their businesses afloat. So, so that'll be a big measure and uh, one of the things I suppose that was kind of half expected to be done but 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 didn't transpire at this stage is the extension of these COVID passes what you need to go into a nightclub or a restaurant or a, a bar so it was thought that they may be extended to let's say um, hairdressers barbers gyms it doesn't look like that's happening at the moment but they will be put on a statutory footing for uh, cinemas and theatres at the moment you, you need to show uh, a COVID pass going into a cinema if there's more than 50 people um, allowed inside the cinema. So most places are doing this already because they want uh, to be able to fill their, their theatres and their cinema screens. So, so that's going to be one of the other new measures that will come in. Philip, there's already, um, you wrote about it yourself in The Irish Dependent, about this divide that's kind of emerging between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And we only need to look to uh, countries abroad, the likes of Austria, to see what they're doing in terms of a lockdown for the unvaccinated. I mean, these are pretty precarious measures, aren't they? On Sunday, big country's interior minister had a stern warning to the Austrian people. Ab morgen... As of tomorrow, every citizen, every person living in Austria must be aware that they can be checked by the police at any time. Among other things, we will also check if people have been vaccinated or recovered and the reason for entering public spaces. Well, I think what Austria is doing is, is very extreme, really, when you look down to it uh, from reading what, what they have planned. And, and that it is in place as we speak and it's supposed to be in place for 10 days, which is people who are unvaccinated are being asked to stay in their houses, only leave for exercise, going to the shops and um, some some uh, religious activities if, if need be. But like that and that has been enforced, like you mentioned earlier, with police, people checking people on on buses and are they are should they be going or leaving the house? And, and that's really draconian. And I think our own government um, are, have shied away from something like that, knowing that you don't want to really put in, in place a kind of a discriminatory or divisive regime that is going to alienate people um, one against the next. You can't get your hair cut because you're not unva- unvaccinated. So are we going to have a situation where we can spot the unvaccinated people by their long hair walking around society? Like it, it, it is, when you're looking at, at things like, like gyms and uh, hairdressers and, and barbers, they're, they're not just like uh, recreational things. They're things people need to get by in society. They're, they're, they're not the same as a pub or a restaurant or a theatre. And what else has uh, come about in these new measures, Philip? Um, one of the other big things that we'll probably see is a, a push and a new regime for um, close contacts. So if you're in a household and you're a close contact, you'll be asked to, to restrict your movements for five days if, if you're a close contact. And in that five days, you'll be asked to take um, five or three rather um, antigen tests um, spaced apart the, over those days and only after the fifth day will you then be allowed to, to, to stop restricting your movements and that'll be a bit of a change and it'll be a big imposition on people especially when you see 
the, the rate of cases in schools and, and even in offices and just generally the, the rate of cases uh, throughout the country and the high transmission levels. And, uh, and that's an interesting point on the antigen tests because uh, people I know who've had to take an- antigen tests have, have had a problem, first of all, in even sourcing them. Mm. And then there's the financial burden of paying for these test kits. Um, and there's been talk of subsidising them. Anything on that today? Yeah, I think that there's an agreement there to find out how to do this. So we, ha- we have a lot of antigen tests. The, the HSE has stored up loads. The, the EU um, went on a mass buying of um, COVID tests as well, in the same way they did with the vaccines. So we have them and it's about how do we get them into shops and how do we subsidise them so people aren't forking out a fortune to, to do this. And the Department of Public Expenditure is looking at that now, seeing seeing what what the balance sheet says essentially. But they, but they wanted to have it low. They wanted to have a two or three euro. They don't want people, uh, like you say, I, I think I bought them at one stage and they were a pack for 25, for five of them. So, you know, people aren't going to be forking out that much money um, to, to, to do this. We can all play our part to prevent that by continuing to adopt the basic measures that we've all become so familiar with over the past two years. So let's continue to wash our hands regularly. Let's ensure that we don't meet up with other people and socialise if we've got symptoms. Let's work from home where possible over this autumn and winter. Can you maybe uh, give us a little bit of uh, an insight, set the scene for us a wee bit in terms of what's going on behind the scenes? Because a month ago, we had the deputy CMO, Ronan Glynn, uh, you know, advise that people might be better off working from home and then very quickly uh, uh, government, in- uh, including the Tornish, is saying, well, no, we're, we have a phased um, uh, reopening or we have... Or, we're getting people back into the offices on a on a phased basis and this will continue. And now all of a sudden we're back in this land of confusion. What's going on? Yeah, it's kind of reminders of last year, isn't it? When Tony Holohan said we needed a level five lockdown and he was readily de- dismissed by the Tarnished as well on Clareburn Live, only for it to happen a couple of weeks later. Um, what's happening behind the scenes is, is interesting in, in the dynamic between the National Public Health Emergency Team and the government in that... When we look at the the advice that is given in the last few weeks, especially the the most current advice, it's very open-ended. It it leaves the politicians a lot of wriggle room. And it it actually has put the responsibility for taking the decisions onto the politicians. They don't really have the National Public Health Emergency Team to hide behind in this instance. They have set out, look, these are some of the things you need to do. This is how worrying the scenario is. This is what could happen if you don't do something. There could be 500 people in ICU. We only have 300 plus beds. So they have they, they set out the scenarios now and but leave the restrictions, for the most part, to the government to decide. So there, there's huge pressure on the government to, to come up with ways to tackle this spread of the virus. Now, a lot of what they want to do is to get this booster campaign, this third shot for many people, to get that going, get that rolled out as quickly as possible. At the Cabinet uh, Committee on COVID-19, there was a lot of pressure put on the HSE uh, on Monday evening because that uh, because there is... There isn't the same impetus, let's say, as there was last year when we first began the campaign and they aren't moving as quickly as the government would like because, you know, NIAC, the people who advise when and who can get vaccines, they've got a lot of flack, but it's been pointed out that NIAC have given the clearance for something like two, two, more than two million people to get the vaccine, but, you know, only a fraction of those have been done so far. So there's no point in... In, in getting advice to do more people or to, to make more people eligible if the ones who, who are already eligible haven't been get, gotten their jobs to date. 
Christine Loescher, Professor of Immunology at DCU. How did we get here? We got here because of Delta. (laughs) I think we certainly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Delta. Um, Unfortunately, this is our first experience with Delta into a wintertime and coronaviruses in general are seasonal, which means that they circulate more and usually cause more infection in the winter. And and, and SARS-CoV-2 um, for COVID-19 is no different. So it's not surprising that we're here, given that our entire society is open and that we have a variant, um, uh, which is Delta, that is, you know, five, six, seven times more transmissible than the original um, virus that we were dealing with last year and even even more transmissible than Alpha variant for this year. So we're here because of Delta um, and that's the that's the main reason that we're here. And Christine, from an immunity point of view, for let's say those of us fully vaccinated, what is happening within our bodies? So essentially, when you get immunised to any um, pathogen, essentially your immune system um, activates itself as if it was having an infection. And that full-blown immune system um, generates what we call immunological memory. So you create cells that can make the right antibody to that bacteria or virus. You create T cells that can kill it. And you basically keep those in your body until the next time you see it. When you get the booster, you kind of do that all over again, except you get better antibody, like more, like better quality antibody and more of it. And you get more of these T cells. So you get a much stronger memory response. So you've got a better army in your body ready to go if you come in contact with the bacteria or virus. So that's the way um, vaccines work. What happens, though, is is that you're constantly exposed to bacteria and viruses in your environment and and people get, you know, can get sick and then they have an immune response that does pretty much the exact same thing. Um, So you don't really have room um, to keep loads of antibody and loads of T cells for every single thing that your immune system might remember. So what you need to do is you need to reduce the number um, that you have in your circulation. And that's kind of consistent with this waning immunity that we see. So what we normally see with any vaccine is that after about five or six months, you decrease the amount of the antibodies and T-cells that you have ready to go. Um, It doesn't mean that you can't switch them on when you come in contact with it, but there's less of them there in the first place, which means your initial rapid response is probably not as strong. So this waning immunity is a natural phenomenon that we see with all vaccines where you get a small decrease over time of the antibody level in particular. And for the most part, for other vaccines, it doesn't really impact that much because if you think about all the things we're vaccinated against, we don't really come into contact with them in everyday life. I mean, when was the last time you came into contact with somebody who had measles or mumps or rubella or or whooping cough? So it doesn't matter if your immunity is a little bit waning with those vaccines because you're not highly exposed Given the situation we're in at the moment, which is that we're dealing with Delta and the community level is so high, we are so exposed to COVID-19 at the moment, which means that the waning immunity is having more impact. And that's where we are with waning immunity. It's why boosters will be able to plug that gap. Um, And what boosters do is, is that they instruct your immune system once again to respond to whatever the bacteria or virus is, 
um, and you get another boost of your antibody and another boost of your T cells. But in this case, what we're what research is showing is that you're getting a really super immune response and that it's likely that that immune response would not wane as quickly and might last us longer. And that's why boosters at the moment are absolutely critical to managing not just the case numbers, but particularly hospitals and and ICU admissions. I've been talking with many of our consultants, uh, particularly in terms of ICU. And what we do have, firstly, is a health system under heightened levels of strain due to COVID. But our hospitals in particular are now uh, suffering severe distress. And certainly the way the consultants explained to me this morning, they want me to relay it. uh, We are really in a very grim situation with our ICUs and the levels of sickness that we are treating. Uh, And consultants, as I talk to you right now, are on a call uh, discussing across all hospital groups uh, the level of surge that we need to be at, etc. So it's a a very uh, distressing picture at the moment in terms of the impact of COVID is having. And not to detract from the seriousness of the virus at all, Christine, but there's a huge level of fatigue kind of uh, seeping into society now. It's like an almost, oh, here we go again. We have the government uh, telling us about, you know, new rules uh, in the run up to Christmas. Um, Is COVID-19 something we have to live with for a very, very long time? Yes, it, it will be. Um, we are going to be living with COVID um, seasonally, I think, at the height of it in winter for years to come. And I think that what we have learned this year with our vaccination program across the world is we've learned um, when to give the vaccine, who to give the vaccine to, when should we be doing boosters. And it's, it's quite clear that we should have been doing boosters weeks ago and even months ago um, to some of our population. And we we may have kind of prevented some of the, the hospitalizations. So um, I think that what we're what we're learning is is we're learning what we need to do in terms of our vaccination program to be in the best possible scenario to deal with seasonal COVID-19, which I think we're going to be dealing with pretty much every winter for the foreseeable future. But we're going to learn a lot about the booster program this winter. And if the booster program gives a lot of protection this winter, then the strategy for the following winter is maybe to just boost people where there has been waning immunity. And that might not be enough to control case numbers, but it will be enough to control the translation of case numbers into hospitalizations and ICUs. And that's really where we're focused. Remember, the function of a vaccine is to prevent severe illness and death. It's not about preventing somebody getting the infection. And that's what we're interested in. When we're looking at numbers, we should be focused on hospitalizations and ICUs. And that should be the readout of how strong our vaccine program is, not necessarily the case numbers. So I think I think the antigen testing will impact. And I think that one of the things that we haven't been doing um, that other countries have been way ahead of us on is we haven't been self-monitoring. So we haven't been um, having access to, um, you know, low cost or free antigen testing so that people are able to better monitor themselves. And I think monitoring Um, you know, monitoring COVID is really important in terms of controlling case numbers. And essentially, if you have a scenario where you can antigen test on a regular basis um, and you get a positive test because and you're asymptomatic, it will be an alert for you to go and get a PCR test and to isolate. 
if you are asymptomatic, that's where it's really important. If we look at the case numbers in the last few weeks, of those that we know whether they were symptomatic or asymptomatic, 13% of positive cases were asymptomatic. So that's 13% of all the cases in the last few weeks that were roaming around not knowing that they had COVID. And that's where antigen testing can add to the tools that we have to control case numbers. So I am an absolute advocate of antigen testing. I'm glad that we've got to the stage where we are now, you know, seeing it as a real kind of de-risking tool. Um, And I would like to see not just subsidised, but I'd like them to see to be freely available like they are in other countries, because making them accessible to people is how people will engage with them as a de-risking tool. If you don't make them accessible, people are going to be choosy about when they use them and then it's not going to work properly. Dr. Robertson, Senior Research Officer in the Behavioural Research Unit in the ESRI, what is your research telling you in terms of our behaviour currently? So we have been collecting data um, from a nationally representative sample of people every two weeks since January. So we've been able to track changes in how much social activity there is, where people are going, how many people they're meeting and what types of mitigation measures they're putting in place. So by that, I mean uh, whether people are wearing masks or hand sanitizing or maintaining social distance when they're out and about. And what we've seen is that Um, As you might expect, since January, overall social activity has been increasing and particularly then as various restrictions were lifted, we've seen increases in, for example, the number of people going to cafes, pubs and restaurants, going on public transport, uh, going to other people people's homes and also increases in the number of close contacts that people are having with others, not necessarily close contacts with somebody who's positive with COVID-19, but just a close contact with somebody else. So that's been steadily increasing since January. At the same time, we have seen a decrease in the extent to which people are keeping their distance, washing hands and wearing masks. Now, that decrease has kind of stabilised a bit in the last few months. It went from over 60% of people who were always engaging in these behaviours in January down to just around 40% in the last few months. So there's kind of been an increase in social activity and then a decrease in this type of cautionary behaviours to avoid the spread of COVID-19 at the same time. And the latest round of research from the SRI is coming out on Friday. Are there any early indications you can uh, give us an insight to or indeed would, would the, what's going on this week in relation to new rules uh, from the government? Will, will uh, these be incorporated into the actual findings? Yeah, so every week we ask people, um, you know, what are your expectations for easing restrictions in the next month? And how do you think the government response to the pandemic has been so far? So um, I I don't know about what we're going to see this week, but in the latest wave that we have, which uh, ran up until the 26th of October, we found a decrease in the proportion of people who thought that the government uh, response so far was appropriate and an increase in people who think it's insufficient. So there seems to be some um, expectation that that people um, think that perhaps there should be more restrictions in place or, or some greater response to try and reduce these cases. I can't say for sure what that is and that people are expecting. And we also saw a big decrease in the number of people expecting restrictions to be eased in the next month. So that had been going up and up over uh, August, uh, September and October. And then just as we've seen these uh, cases rising, we've seen a big drop in the number of people who think further restrictions will be eased in uh, December. 
We are in a crisis situation again with COVID, and I think the government needs to acknowledge that. Our ICU capacity in danger of being overrun, the threat of COVID spreading into nursing homes yet again, and the government once again sleepwalking us into lockdown at Christmas. It is Groundhog Day. Philip Ryan, in a nutshell, working from home, um, no uh, dancing or partying in nightclubs after midnight, um, having a a good stock of antigen tests in the cupboard. Mm. Is it really enough? I think, and speaking to some people who are involved in decision making, speaking to some ministers, there is... It is a, it is it is a it is a bit of a wait and see and and hope and pray approach. They they want this to work and they hope that the combination of these small measures they are kind of softly softly little measures uh, along with a, a more expedited rollout of the booster campaign will will slow down the spread of the virus and will stop the rate of hospitalization and ICU admission. But there is a realisation there that it just may not be enough. And this could only be the start of what is the reintroduction of more restrictions over the coming weeks and months. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was presented and produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie, Deutsche Welle News, CNBC and RTE. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>